1: The FT. Welcome back to Banking Weekly with me, Patrick Jenkins. This week we'll be looking at the predicted effect the immigration cap in the UK is likely to have on the vast numbers of non-EU workers employed in the city. The brutal fact is that the, uh, the way in which the system is currently being applied is very damaging. We'll be asking what this will mean for the big banks. Then we'll hear from our office in New York in a new feature for Banking Weekly, Stateside, Each week, one of our financial correspondents based in New York will reflect on the top stories of the week in the American banking market.
2: We went through a second full week of September with, once again, scant evidence that activity on the markets would pick up in the final month of the quarter.
1: After that, we'll turn our attention to the practice of securitization, following the news this week that Investec, one of uh, South Africa's biggest banks, and also last week, Royal Bank of Scotland, are getting back into the securitization market. We'll be asking whether this is an indicator that the economy is ready to turn a corner.
0: The best way of characterising both the RBS issue, which is £4.7 billion, and the Investec one, which is much smaller but subprime, the way to really characterise this is back but
1: not booming. Then we'll be moving on to look at the implications for other big banks – particularly Northern Rock, the state-owned entity which is winding down its legacy toxic assets. And then finally concluding with a look at the Banking Commission. This is the government-appointed entity which reports on Friday this week about which way its thinking is evolving. Joining me in the studio is Charlene Goff, our retail banking correspondent, and Jennifer Hughes, senior markets correspondent. So let's start off with the UK's immigration cap and Vince Cable's comments last week that the interim cap on work visas introduced just before the summer for people coming from outside the EU was crippling some companies. The brutal fact is that the, uh, the way in which the system is currently being applied is very damaging. And you know we have now lots of case studies of companies which are either not investing or are relocating... Uh, or in many cases just not able to function effectively because they cannot get key staff from outside the European Union. And and there's no point, you know, concealing the fact that this is is actually damaging to the UK. Now, he doesn't go as far as to name any individual companies, but Mr Cable does say that he's spoken to two investment banks in the city, both of which recruit hundreds of people from the non-EU countries. And the reduction of the number of visas they've been allowed is proving really restrictive. That's resulted in the moving summer operations to Hong Kong, he says. Charlene, this is a story that you've been monitoring over the past week. D- do you think he's got a point?
3: Yeah, I, I definitely do. And uh, like you say, he, he didn't want to name the banks and the banks themselves won't put their own hands up and say that it's particularly damaging them. But I spoke to all of the big banks on Friday. And really, the, the, the chorus from them was that this was having a, an impact on their ability to hire. I mean, it's particularly having having a negative effect on the big US banks and Asian banks, Nomura, for example, who's you know got big headquarters in London and would typically bring a a large proportion of senior bankers from Asia over to London. And that's going to be proving much harder to do over the next year or so.
1: Do you think to an extent it's Mr. Cable trying to put the wolves off the scent, if you like, that that this is, um, you know, there are plenty of government policies which have emanated from Mr. Cable's own political beliefs that, for example, there should be higher taxes on on bankers, that, you know, he's he's talked pretty aggressively about not wanting investment bankers to have more power, like Bob Diamond heading Barclays, for example. He's been pretty reluctant to give his approval to that kind of promotion. Do you think him kind of raising another issue just to put people off?
3: I think there's an element of that. And it it does seem to be causing a bit of a rift within the coalition, which is interesting. So the the first big battle there. I mean, obviously, this is very much at the heart of the liberal belief, you know, they were sort of anti any kind of immigration cap. So he's been talking very strongly about that. I don't know how much backing he has from the rest of the government. It seems they're very much playing down the effect and saying it shouldn't really penalize the the big companies but you know banks are saying there is real tangible evidence of this and you know and it goes very right from the kind of graduates that they're trying to bring in and up through the ranks to the very senior people
1: we don't know how much is this effect and how much is the effect of other uh policies that are seen as anti-city if you like Jen, have you got a a view on how much the other policies introduced by government, for example, the the banking levy, have persuaded banks to maybe not to actually shift operations out of London, but to certainly prioritize growth in other, other economies such as Singapore and Hong Kong?
0: You hear a lot of anecdotal stories. It's very difficult to quantify exactly where it is. As soon as you talk about higher tax rates, senior bankers say that junior bankers come to them and say, right, how quickly can you move me to Frankfurt, Paris, wherever else? Asia is particularly popular, it seems. But it is very much anecdotal. As Charlene said, no one really wants to stand up and say exactly what effect this has all had.
1: Well, I'm sure the the anecdotes will keep coming, so we'll monitor that story over the coming months, definitely. Let's move now to our new feature, Stateside, which this week is hosted by Justin Baer, bringing us the news from the banking sector in America. Over to you, Justin.
2: Thank you, Patrick. This was a week of anniversaries, regulatory updates, and some trade ranks. First, uh, it will be a long time before the industry forgets the events of two years ago when Lehman Brothers collapsed and other wounded banks, including Merrill and Washington Mutual, Scrambled to find the marriages that would save them from the same fate. Last week also marked the 75th anniversary of the founding of Morgan Stanley. The security arms that the House of Morgan had been forced to shed in the wake of the Depression-era legislation. We're clearly embarking on a new era, in some ways similar era today, with regulators just beginning to interpret legislation that could have just as dramatic of an impact. Last week also began with U.S. banks studying how the new Basel III capital standards might affect their balance sheets in the coming years, Enclosed with an important address by Gary Gensler, the head of the Commodity Futures Trading Commission, Mr. Gensler's agency was tasked with, by Congress to lowering risk and increasing transparency in the derivatives market. In his address, Mr. Gensler reminded the industry that he would stick closely to the statutes of the legislation. Finally, we went through a second full week of September with once again scant evidence that activity on the markets would pick up in the final month of the quarter. Lower volumes, coupled with a lack of volatility. I Means lower revenue for Wall Street trading desks, and for a second straight quarter could bring about lackluster results. Many bankers and traders had hoped that the markets would revive after a summer of disappointing economic news and jittery investors. This hasn't happened, and if business doesn't pick up soon, many banks may be forced to cut staff. This will be especially hard to swallow for those that worked hard to rebuild their trading desks gutted by the crisis. But the storms that barreled through New York yesterday are gone. And the sun is uh, starting to peak out here in Manhattan. And so maybe markets will, in fact, come back alive next week. Certainly, stranger things have happened. Uh, after all, who could forget the events of uh, mid-September two years ago? Back to you, Patrick, in London.
1: Thanks, Justin. Um, well, a lot of the issues that Justin mentioned there are revolve around the management of balance sheets uh, within the big banks. And one of the kind of Big stories that has come up over the past week or so has been the potential revival of the securitization markets. Jen, do you think the the kind of tentative signs of of revival in that market that we've seen over the past week are likely to hail really a a kind of long standing recovery that's sustainable?
0: I think the best way of characterising both the RBS issue, which is four point seven billion, and the investec one, which is much smaller but subprime. The way to really characterise this is back but not booming. The market is recovering. Both these deals are new steps in what you can really say is a series of steps in the market. I mean, this time a year ago, Lloyd's did the first deal. Since then, we've seen slightly different structures with different conditions as investors have said, no, we don't want that, we want more of this. But these are important because they're both new banks coming back to the market. So you're, you're broadening what's there for investors and it will help generate more interest.
1: One of the interesting things in kind of probing that Investec story that I uncovered was the fact that Bank of America Merrill Lynch had been out there in the market a couple of months ago trying to get away um, close to a billion of mostly subprime stuff. They had to withdraw it because they couldn't get the price they wanted for it. How damaging was that to the kind of efforts to revive this market, do you think?
0: It certainly wasn't helpful. I mean, there was a lot of talk around it, but it was very difficult to pin down at the time exactly what was going on. A lot of these deals, remember, The public securitisation markets are only a fraction of what's going on right now. Most of this stuff is still being plonked with the ECB as as a a means of raising cash. So there's a lot of activity going on behind the scenes, which makes it difficult sometimes to gauge from the public activity what's actually going on in the whole market.
1: And from the bank's point of view, Charlene, do you see this as a kind of critical evolution that we're going to see more of over the next few months?
3: Well, they definitely like to, and uh, they're trying to get as much out as they can while there is investor appetite. But, you know, they admit as well that that could be quite fragile, and it only takes a bit of negative news to come through, and investors could steer away again. But I think at the moment, you know, banks are going to come out, you know, we could see issues over the next few months from other UK banks, Barclays, maybe they've been, uh, they haven't made or put their foot back into the market yet. So they may come through. Uh, But it's been quite interesting to see which banks have tried to get these away. I mean, Lloyd's, clearly, it's very critical for because they've got this enormous wall of uh, funding that they need to refinance over the next few years. So for them, they really need this market. I mean, RBS, it's not quite so desperate, but you've also seen Santander has, has done a securitization, and even the cooperative bank, you know, much smaller bank, has also managed to get one away. So you have got banks of different shapes and sizes coming back into the market, and we should see that pool grow. Do
1: you think we're going to see building societies in this market? Because they're some of the institutions that, you know, need this kind of funding source probably more than most.
0: Well we've seen nationwide in already, they were on the first deals last year. And that was quite encouraging because it was a, a first deal from a new issue that wasn't common to this market before. If the market opens up more and people start looking for different credits, then yes, I think some of the top building societies can get back in. The problem is you want as many different, you know, pools of mortgages from investors to pick from, but they are facing a lot of competition from some of the stronger European markets as well. The Dutch market's very much back. I can't say the Spanish one is, for example, but there is quite a lot of competition coming up.
1: Now, Charlene, you had a story this morning about Northern Rock. It's not a securitisation story, but it's kind of going in a similar vein. What, what What's going on exactly there?
3: Well, Northern Rock has got this enormous debt to the government that it needs to repay. Um, and You know, it was really planning to do this very gradually uh, over a period of many years. I mean, it it owes the government £22 billion, and this was going to be driven by the repayment of mortgages, but it emerged last week or we found out last week that the bank is trying to sort of accelerate this by selling off portfolios of loans and these are all loans that have been shifted into the bad bank effectively. Because
1: Northern Rock was split wasn't it? Northern Rock was split between a, a good bank exactly. which is an ongoing operations and a bad bank which is the legacy. Toxic yeah stuff,
3: yeah kind of and right? actually that label bad bank has sort of worn off a little bit because actually that section of the old Northern Rock is the one that's turning a profit now um, while the savings and uh, higher quality mortgages are still loss making. But this is these are all the existing old loan book and you know as we all know Northern Rock had more risk than other banks so its, it's loans are comparatively quite high risk they're very high loan to value on average you know all the best ones have sort of been shifted into the good banks so the bad bank is you know potentially quite I mean, toxic I think is too strong a word now but sort of quite risky. So if it does start to be able to do these sales it would be quite an interesting sign of more confidence coming back in. I mean, so far, uh, any offer it's had from investors has been at a very unattractive price, you know, they're not willing to pay the kind of prices that Northern Rock would be willing to sell at. So it's a bit early for it to happen now. But interesting that there is investor appetite there. And this could be something that happens over the next year or six months or so.
1: Well, we'll keep watching that. Now, one crucial lesson that came out of the collapse of Northern Rock and the subsequent nationalisation, and also the bailouts that were necessary of RBS and Lloyds, was that it was absolutely vital that we find a way to avoid another succession of these collapses. Now, the Banking Commission, which is this entity set up by the government before the summer, is due to announce on Friday its initial thinking on which way it needs to recommend that the structure of the banking sector should be be changed. It's looking at both the structure of universal banks, which are the groups that comprise a, a retail bank and an investment bank under one roof. And it's also looking at a competition on the high street, particularly around uh, the dominance that Lloyd's has on the high street following its acquisition in the, the heat of the, the crisis of, um, of Halifax Bank of Scotland. Charlene, again, do you think that we're likely to get uh, a detailed outline of, of the thinking of the commission?
3: I think it's very unlikely that we're going to get a very clear idea of where they're heading on this at this stage. I mean, we're, like you say, we're only a few months in. I mean, there's been a lot of hype around the commission and what it might choose to do. Um, but really, we're not expecting any kind of a decision for the next year. I mean, the commission is very keen to get out into the market talk to as many people as it can you know chief executives analysts regulators all all these kinds of people and it really won't want to give any hint as to the kind of direction it's heading in before it's had that consultation period but nevertheless I think this will be a very interesting first step and you know we can really hopefully get a bit more detail about the kinds of issues that it's concerned about the kinds of issues it will be thinking about and maybe an idea of the kind of middle ground between this very extreme case of breaking up the banks. You know, we don't think it's going to go that far, but, you know, what other kinds of ideas might it explore to offer a bit more protection to retail depositors?
1: Well, I'm sure that's something that investors are going to be watching very closely, and, and so will we. We'll, um, we'll look at exactly what the Banking Commission says when we have our podcast next week. Sadly, that's all we have time for today. All that's left for me is to thank Charlene and Jen in the studio. And Justin Baer in New York. Banking Weekly was produced by LJ Filatrani. Until next week, goodbye.
2: For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts.